Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I am with Ruth, who is helping me to organize my podcast. Ruth, who do we have on today's show? Well, Brent, today we have Sherry Walling. Sherry helps smart people solve complex problems. Sherry is the one you call when you're in burnout, feeling isolated, need to make a difficult decision, embroiled in a messy situation, out of ideas, and in need of a fresh perspective. Her superpower is bringing calm to crisis and insight to chaos. Sherry has a PhD in clinical psychology and two master's degrees. Sherry has been an academic, researcher, and psychotherapist and is a best-selling author. Talk Commerce is brought to you by Content Basis. Have you tried machine learning programs only to find they give you repetitive garbage or worse, information irrelevant to the context of what you asked for? Do you know if the content that you're using on your website is even performing? Content Basis exists to analyze, create, and measure the content that is crucial for your product or service. Content Basis analyzes your website analytics to learn what is performing well and what is not. We dig into your search history to discover what keywords people are using to find your product and services and what keywords people are using to find your competitors' products and services. We create a content plan to help you deliver content that wraps around your most vital products and services, and then we track the performance of this content, reassess it, and make it better. Go to contentbasis.io to learn more. The open beta program is available to new users. Go to contentbasis.io. Talk Commerce is sponsored by Haifa, or as the Europeans say, Hufa, or the right way to say it. Hufa is rapidly becoming the biggest Magento front end after Luma. For those who don't know it, Luma is the basic theme that comes with Magento, and it is giantly slow. If you're looking for a template-based front end with the fastest loading times in the e-commerce industry while saving costs on development time and hosting infrastructure, Hufa is your best option. Everybody loves a fast site, including Google. Improve your Google ranking and conversion rates and make your customers happy. Learn more at hyva.io. That's hyva.io. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. Welcome to this welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Dr. Sherry Walling. Sherry, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, tell us your day-to-day role, and maybe one of your passions in life. Yeah. So I'm a clinical psychologist and I help entrepreneurs with mental health. That takes lots of different kinds of forms. Some of it is in writing and speaking. Some of it is in working directly one-on-one with entrepreneurs around their needs and the mental health needs within their company. And I have lots of passions, but one of the things that I spend a lot of time doing is actually circus arts. So I'm an aerialist. I do the flying trapeze and I also work on aerial fabrics and that's been a really lovely part of my both physical and mental health care as a human. Wow, you are the first trapezist. Is that what the right word is? Trapezist? Sure. That trapeze has artist. been on trapeze artist that has been on the show. That's fantastic. How do you stay in shape doing that? And is it physically I would imagine it's physically demanding. It is pretty physically demanding. It's like being a gymnast. 
So there's a lot of like high intensity motion. And then in the fabrics, that can be more sustained activity. So a little bit more cardiovascularly intensive, like a dancer. So yeah, I work out a lot. I train a lot. Um, it's nice to counterbalance really specialized movement with lifting weights and jogging and just being generally active. But it's been, it's nice to be in my forties and be able to like do something with my body. That's pretty fun and interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So before we get into our conversation, I prepped you on my free joke project. So all we'd like to do is tell you a free joke. And if you could just tell me if that joke should remain free or if we should charge for it. Or I think you said earlier, is it super expensive? Here we yeah, go. I want to know how much we should charge for it, too. How much? Yes, yeah, go wow. Ahead. We're going right into this. All right. Uh, how much does Santa pay to park his sleigh? Nothing. It's on the house. Ooh, that's pretty snappy, and it's timely, given that we're moving into the holiday season. I don't know. I feel like that's like a $2 joke. Wow, $2. All right, I'm writing that down. $2 joke. I haven't had I haven't had a valuation yet, and maybe the free joke part project will do an IPO at some point. But uh, <laughs> All right, so let's move on. So grief as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure that as an entrepreneur, there's loads of emotions that are evolved in that. A highs and lows. Tell us a little bit why you wrote your book and some of the things around that. Yeah, so I've, as I mentioned, been taking care of entrepreneurs and helping them with mental health for many years. And I think one of the themes that really rose to the top as it related to COVID was this emotional experience of grief. And that is, of course, the reaction to any kind of loss. That can be loss of life, of often what we think of with grief. But I think entrepreneurs experience quite a lot of grief in the ups and downs that go into their business. Sometimes it's the loss of a project or a plan or the hope for the launch of a certain feature that didn't go as they'd hoped. Sometimes it's the loss of a key team member. Sometimes it's the loss of their business altogether. But as watched the world begin to change and shift in the context of COVID, I felt like a lot of people were just holding a lot of grief, but not necessarily sure how to label it and what to do about it. So I wrote my book called Touching Two Worlds, which is really about my own experience of grief. The griefs that I write about in that book are the loss of life. I lost my dad to cancer and my brother to suicide in a very short time frame. So I had my own deep immersion into grief, but then I wanted to hold those stories in tension with my life as a psychologist and think about how to help them to be helpful and meaningful to the people that I work with. So that's how the book came to be. Do you think that in the entrepreneurial community, there's more room for anger and happiness than there is for grief? I think the way that we express and label emotion is highly contextualized. It's sometimes very dependent on how we've been socialized within our gender. It's dependent on how we've been socialized to talk about and experience emotion. And I think generally speaking, forgive the generalization, it's not true of everyone. Anger feels like a safer emotion for men to express versus grief, which can feel more passive, maybe more vulnerable. So in my work with entrepreneurs, I would say that I will see the expressions of anger show up a little bit more in men. Often the thing that we are angry at can be traced back to a hurt that is often associated with a loss that is maybe 
really most appropriately labeled as grief. What do you see as challenges in getting people to express their grief? And when is it appropriate during your work life cycle? I think in your emotional and your personal, it's always appropriate to express grief. But do you think there's a stigma around expressing grief in the workplace? There's a whole range of things that go with that word express. So I think, first of all, acknowledging grief, acknowledging that something has been lost, something didn't go according to plan, there's a goodbye, there's an ending. The labeling of that experience is an important piece of expression that is actually not in itself very emotional. It's just naming it. Like, we'd hoped to have this product online by this time, and it's not. And woof, that's an experience. Let's notice it. So the expression of grief can begin with labeling. And then I think it is important to create some emotional space, even within the workplace, to talk about disappointment, frustration, anger, sadness. I don't know, even excitement. Excitement that something else has come to be instead of the plan that was in place. We can label emotion. We can talk about emotion. We can express emotion without devolving into a blubbering puddle of tears where our colleagues are passing us Kleenex to wipe the snot from our faces. I think that's what people think is going to happen when they talk about emotional expression of grief. And that is really maybe one possibility, but not by any means the only possibility of what grief looks like. The, and I'm sure there's different levels of grief as well then that we all encounter. Is it is there a challenge in getting the, let's just say, the entrepreneur versus the employee or the business owner versus the employee? Is there a challenge in maybe the business owner or the entrepreneur wants to show strength so they don't feel like being vulnerable in that in any sense is an appropriate, is an appropriate thing to display to your team? Is there exercises that you recommend to get around that? I think the question is, what does the team need? And often the team needs role modeling. It needs permission to feel and to experience, and it needs a boundary depiction of how to show up authentically and with some emotional range at work. And so this strength at all costs, the stoicism of I'm a leader and nothing affects me often is counterproductive because it doesn't teach people how to be human in the context of work. Yeah, that's a good one. Human in the context of work. I went through the book. I'm in an entrepreneur group. I went through the book Emotional EQ 2.0. And the book didn't so much touch on grief, or should I say, I focused on the anger part of it, (laughs) rather than the grief. It It may have focused on grief, and I completely overlooked it. Some of that was just going through some of these reflection exercises, and I think in your book you talk a little bit about reflecting on those things. What do you recommend people start with that? So reflection exercises are about labeling. They're about giving language to experiences. So one of the things that I think is pretty helpful when there's been a loss is to create a timeline of events, is to get all of the pieces of the story out in place. And I did this a lot with companies who are needing to end, to shut down or to close their doors. We can also do this when a company is being sold or an entrepreneur is having an exit. You write down all of the steps, all of the pieces of the details that lead to that story coming to be. 
And then you notice what the like emotional components are too. So there's this excitement around launch, around first customers and first employees. And then there's trouble usually at some point where we're talking about the hero's journey where there's the gauntlet to walk and the challenges to experience. And then usually yeah. there's something on the other side, right? Either something didn't work, someone's leaving, something's ending. So writing ex- practices, storytelling, these are old tools that humans have used probably since we developed prefrontal cortexes to try to articulate and understand our own experiences. You mentioned hero's journey. Do you think that we overlook the hero's journey or we overlook the grief part of a hero's journey and just focus on the struggle or the struggle in that journey and the outcome? Americans love a good outcome story, right? They like to know that the hero is going to win in the end. I got to tell you, I think with grief, there's a lot of both and, right? You can be in grief and also succeed in the hero's journey. You can be in grief and also be in love. You can be in grief and be super productive in your business. And so some of the desire to talk about grief more openly, especially with entrepreneurs, is to try to get away from these discrete categories of if I'm this, then I'm not that. If I'm in some amount of grieving or sadness or suffering, then I'm not able to run my business or I'm not able to show up for my family. Like that, That's not true. People do that all the time. We're a complicated cocktail of emotional experiences at any given moment. And so I think if anything, there's a pull to make things more simple than they are and to label with really discrete categories something that is not a categorical variable. It's a continuous. You mentioned, if I'm this, I'm not that, about the about being faced with something that is a struggle or even being faced with, let's just say your partner dies or your business partner dies. And I think sometimes that would come out as a the other partner has to show this strength and it's hard to show some of those other emotions where I think a lot of employees expect to see those emotions. Do you go through exercises that help us break through that? I know that you earlier also said Americans. It's probably not just an American phenomenon. It's probably even more in some of the Eastern countries where it's not at all good to show emotions. I will say, though, that lots of other countries have rituals around how to show emotion. Mm -hmm. So there is a place for emotion. There's an expression. There's a temple practice or a time when you go and sit with the family and cry. There's like an appointment with emotion. (laughs) And because we don't have as many rituals and you know, what many might argue is post-religious society. We don't have these rules around how and when and where. I do want to go back though to this statement around, I guess, this idea that if you're strong, you're not showing emotion. And I think that's a missed idea that has really sort of saturated culture, potentially masculine culture, that says if I shed a tear if I express anxiety or anger, that I'm not strong. And I think increasingly we're living in a, the argument can be made that we're living in a society that does actually respect authentic show of emotion and sees it as strong, sees it as masculine, sees it as leadership. There are parameters around that, but 
I think there's a lot more space to hold strong and emotional or emotionally attuned in one human at one point in time, especially in the time of crisis, especially in a time with the example that you gave where a business partner has passed. There's been a traumatic event that's happened in a business. If you come up to your company or to your employees as somebody who is stoic and detached, what a phenomenal risk you run to lose their trust and to lose their sense of empathetic understanding. So I think the part of being strong is being able to be clear about what your emotion state is, what the emotions around you are, and to know how to navigate your own experience with authenticity and with boundaries, but also to speak to the emotional experience of those that you are, that you're leading. In, in, in a lot of our cultures, and I'm from the Midwest, so we have a, a stoic Lutheran German culture, whatever you want to call yeah. it. And, and it is a, it has been a traditional thing where we don't show a lot of emotions. There, is there, I guess it's just being vulnerable, isn't it? To let yourself, let yourself be seen as who you are. And I know in my group, I'm in, I mentioned earlier, I'm in an EO group, an entrepreneurs mm-hmm. organization, and we are encouraged to be vulnerable in our group. But then there's a level of trust in there as well. Yeah. I suppose it's just getting out of that that habit of not being able or not knowing what your fellow people are going to say or think about you in a trusting, non-trusting or a non, you don't know how that trust is going to happen. You don't know if you're safe. Right. Yeah. How about there's a grief. I gave the example of, of a partner dying. Is it marking that anniversary year over year help in the grief journey? Most people find some ritual around that very helpful. There are lots of cues that exist in our context that remind us of the season. So for example, my father died in the beginning of November and I was there with him when he died. But the I, I had come home from a trip, I'd done Halloween with my children and then got on a plane to go be with my dad to sit with him while he died. And so for me, there's always this sort of stirring around Halloween where it's a super fun day with my children and dressing up and candy, of course. There's also like a heaviness that comes with the contextual cues that remind me of what occurred during that time of year. And so our bodies are interesting memory systems. So our bodies are working on memory even if it's not in our prefrontal cortex, even if we're not consciously aware of it, which is why recognizing, oh, it's November 10th again, or, oh, I'm coming into this season. If we can bring some awareness to those anniversaries, we can choose how to actively engage our memory rather than letting our body do it for us. So for example, sometimes people will get quite agitated around the time of an anniversary and they, maybe they won't consciously remember, they won't be thinking about why they're disrupted or they're frustrated or they're feeling some anguish, but paying attention and making conscious what's happening in your internal memory that might be triggering or disrupting your emotion state is I think really helpful. I also had a very good friend who died in the month of November. It's been about 10 years, but I can remember how it is transmitted, like how the family transmits. Like I I woke up and he lives in Ireland and I woke up in the morning and got a Facebook message that said Michael had passed away. I was at first a little bit angry if that's the way it happened, but 
uh, and then later uh, reflecting, I realized that, hey, I'm one of hundreds of people that had to get the message. Is there a way as somebody who's receiving the message to maybe be more reflective on how the other people that are maybe in a closer relationship are seeing or grieving? Yeah, these notifications are tricky because now they do happen over social media or what's the quickest way to let a bunch of people know something? It's often through that kind of blast. And also death happens in different ways. If some deaths are predicted, you know that someone is ill and they're getting close. I think in an ideal situation, if the death is imminent and it's known, there's a series of messages, right? There's a series of, hey, we're getting close now. It looks like it may be weeks. And then there's a gentleness to letting people know what's happening. But I think you also have to have this compassion for whoever is sending the message, right? They're on the front line of this experience. They're the partner or the sibling or the parent. And I think it's a lot to ask of family members during that phase of a loss to put on their best communication hats in addition to whatever else they're doing in the midst of their grief. So lots of messages like that get botched because they're delivered under duress, right? They're delivered in our not best frame of mind. So even when it's not ideal, it's helpful to find, I think, a little bit of like compassion for the process. Yeah, and if you then transpose that onto another form of grief, if you get fired, I think that getting fired over text is probably not the appropriate way to do it because there's more forethought by the person sending it that could be a little more emotionally involved in it. Yeah, I, I, I hope there's another don't side. fire people over text. That's horrible. <laughs> I think it's happened. I, Shame I, on I you. I certainly haven't done it. You hear about but, the, like, the big Zoom meetings, though, where they make right. the grand announcement, like, okay, 800 people, you're all fired. That's unthinkable. Because they know ahead of time, too. And they know that the messaging is important. And also, they're probably not, hopefully, recently recovering from the death of someone they love. So, yeah, I think we can hold people in leadership to a higher standard than that when it comes yeah. to hiring and firing. Trying to illustrate there's a different level or there's a different type of compassion and level of grief and think giving people the space when they've lost a loved one is different than a leader having to let go of some part of their team. Yeah, How? And there, but there's grief in that too. How oh, yeah. for that, but you still have to do that carefully. <laughs> you still have to do that. Yeah, I think one of the things that I remember reading about in the entrepreneurial journey is you have to have a degree of empathy for your team and it's mm -hmm. hard for some entrepreneurs or that people sometimes people aren't wired and to be empathetic yeah and that and to know that whatever you're saying to somebody is really going to hurt them is the first i feel and i'm not a clinical psychologist or anything like that but you know that something that you're going to say is going to hurt them and hopefully you're going to do it in an empathetic way and texting to fire is not an empathetic way to get do anything or a zoom meeting or whatever one-on-one -on -one and face-to-face -face is probably the best way to do it I, I don't know where I'm going with my question but <laughs> I agree I'm on board yep. yeah empathy is hard at work and empathy is hard for lots of leaders especially if you're running a business and you're the object of your attention is the business, right? That's the thing that you want to flourish. That's the thing that you're trying to grow. In the worst case scenario, these other humans, these employees, they just exist to 
move forward the thing that you really care about, which is the business. They become objects. They're tools to get you where you want to go. And I can appreciate the like framework there because on some level that's true. Like they have been hired to do a job to serve a purpose that has to do not with them, but with this larger goal for the business to grow or thrive. But if you are wanting the best work from humans and you're wanting humans to um, join you in caring about the well-being of your business, it is a relational endeavor. Even though empathy doesn't come automatically to ease to, to some of us, and even though the kinds of things that I talk about, grief and emotional intelligence and being present, those things can feel very smushy. They are actually super essential to the healthy functioning of your business and making sure that you are getting the kinds of results that you want for your goals. There's not really a way to do that unless you are completely using machines, which maybe that will be possible at some point. But in the interim, empathy is still a skill that leaders need. As anybody, how do you cry in public? As a leader, as an employee, as, as any... <laughs> I usually wear a hoodie, <laughs> which is... <laughs> You can just pull it over your head. I think you can give yourself pause for a few tears when it's authentic and when it's happening. So how you cry in public is authentically, it's elegantly, and it's without conflict and a sense of angst that what you're feeling and doing is not okay. So if you are talking about something painful as a leader and the tears come, you just steady yourself. You take a breath, maybe you close your eyes, you pause for a moment and let it be there and wait until you can speak again and then you speak. Yeah, and I think that we, I have respect for our, even our world leaders who are emotionally drawn or are so emotionally taken by a situation where they do shed some tears in public. I think that there's a portion of our society that sees that as as weakness, I think, as you said earlier. As Sherry, as we close out, we're going up against the end of the hour here. As we close out, I give everybody a chance to do a shameless plug. You know, it's, a very, it's not a very good segue for my previous <laughs> question, was it? <laughs> what would you like to plug today? I'm a writer. So I've got some books that I think would be helpful to your audience. The book about grief is called Touching Two Worlds, which is, if I could say, it's beautifully written. It's poetic and thoughtful and has reached far beyond the entrepreneurial circles in which we operate. And then my other book is called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, which is very much about mental health 101 for entrepreneurs and leaders. And so both may have some application to this crew and both are available on Amazon and your books are sold. And I will put those onto the show notes and we didn't get into the entrepreneur's guide to putting, to keeping your shit together. Maybe we'll do that on a future show. <laughs> Maybe. Sherry, yeah. thank you so much for being here today. It's been a very thought provoking conversation. My pleasure. Take good care, Brent. Thanks for having me. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. 
go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the Free Joke Project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.